that as we've prepped for this, what we call Gather Church here at headquarters, um, that we've, we've, we've thought about you. we thought about you. we thought about your kids. We prayed for what's happening in there with Kids Life this morning, what's happening in here uh, in Big Church this morning. We really, really hope that this is a sacred place, that this is a, a holy place, a place where we experience the, the life-changing love of God. Um, and so that's what we hope for you today, whether you're an adult, you're a student. If you're a student in the room, I'm really glad you're here today. I'll tell you why here in a second. Um, yeah, just want big things for you at church this morning. Last week we started a series called Change in Forecast, and basically it started off with this premise, this idea that every relationship that you and I have has a climate to it. Um, it has a, it, there's some relationships that are warm, right, and there's some that are kind of cool and standoffish. There's relationships that are pleasant, and there's relationships that are downright cold or stormy. Um, and there's relationships that you and I have or have had that we wish we could change the climate, right? That we, we wish for a change in forecast, and that's why this, that's what this series is about. One of the things that we talked about last time was that um, climates are not determined overnight. They're determined over time, aren't they? Um, and you, we talked about the idea of a dominant mood. Climates are de determined by the dominant mood in a relationship. For instance, if uh, a uh, the dominant mood in a relationship is positive and, and tr there's trust, there's honesty, there's acceptance, kindness, generosity, that the climate of that relationship, of that friendship, of that marriage is going to be warm, it's going to be pleasant, it'll be hopeful. But if the dominant mood is not as is, is not, is negative, is competitive, is fear, is anxiety, if it's negative, um, you better bring a coat because things are going to get cold when you go to work or when you come home or when you try to talk to your mom or dad about this or that. And we all know what that feels like. Um, and so really, I think, I was thinking about this week, this is really a chance for us to talk about the dominant moods in the relationships that surround us. Like, like seriously, what are, what's the dominant mood? What's the dominant mood between you and your spouse? What's the dominant mood between your roommates and you or your boss? Is it good? Do you like it? And if, if that dominant mood continued, what would the climate become in time, right? With your coworkers, with your kids, with your parents. Uh, if it continued that way, what kind of relationship would it turn into? Um, and, and we talk about this, we, we ask this one question, we, or, uh, we, I encourage you to ask this one question. Your homework, you, remember, you guys remember your homework from last week? Is to ask this one question. What's it like to be on the other side of me? The, the homework for this last week was for you to kind of do a weather check with two people, uh, one family member and one non-family member, and just kind of check in with them. Hey, like, listen, we live together. What's it like to be on the other side of me? Hey, we work together a lot. What's it like to be on the other side of me when I come home from work? When, and, I'm, and things are stressful. What's it like to be when there's a deadline for us at work and I, I just get, you know, it's time to skip lunch and keep moving through. You're like, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And maybe you did that. Maybe, uh, and if, here's, here's the reason I wanted to start with this. If you didn't, you still have homework. It's kind of like math class. You, you can't, you know, like it just keeps going. Um, and I want you, I really, really, really would encourage you, if you haven't done that yet, to do, to, to ask those questions of two people. 
And you'll be surprised by the answers you'll get. And what happens when you ask that question is it gives you a chance to be aware of what it's like to be on the other side of you. It it allows you to be self-aware because we don't know. Especially in the moments when we're kind of like really in the zone, we're focused and maybe we're hard to be around. Like we're not thinking about what it's like to be on the other side of us. So it it gives you a gift of of being self-aware of what it's like to be on the other side of you. And then the second thing is it gives the people you love a gift, right? It gives them a gift of, of hey, I, they get a chance to speak into what's maybe difficult to bring up, right? They get a chance to, because you've invited them into it. And, and what you communicate by doing that is so incredible. What you communicate is like, hey, I'm for us, right? I'm for you. I, I, I want to be a, a, better, a better husband. I want to be a better boss. I want to be a better fill in the blank. Um, and I think the, the results could be powerful. Today, yes, today, we're going to shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk a, a, about uh, specifically the idea of conflict in relationship. And, and it's because conflict, ha- there's, there's nothing that can change the climate faster than conflict. We had this experience, Christy and I, uh, a week and a half ago, we were actually on a date with our, 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 our oldest daughter. We call it first family. Um, and the three of us were, were, were at Barnes & Noble, which is like an old-timey date for Christy and I is this place. And um, I, I asked the question, why, why did I ask this question? I said, honey, um, would, you, like, would it be hard for you if I went to Hawaii with all my buddies and not with you? Like, <laughs> I asked it, like, I think word for word that way, too. And conflict arose funniest thing it's the weirdest thing in the world and and it was interesting because we talked with you know our oldest afterwards um like because uh, she got to see a fight go on this conflict um and and you know up until that point in the day things were going great we were having a great day we we're on this date like we did the, the three of us together that was kind of fun it's been a while since then and all of a sudden boo, things got chilly fast that's what conflict does. And so, and, and here's the thing about conflict that I want us to be aware of. Conflict is dangerous, um, you know, because it's, it's a very potent way to change the dominant mood in a relationship, especially if conflict continues or if it, if it persists, right? The dominant mood in a relationship can go, and maybe you've experienced this. You had a, you know, a dating relationship or even a marriage. It's like, man, things were great, and then all of a sudden conflict and conflict and conflict, and you keep running into it, and maybe it's the same conflict. At the heart of it, so there's some conflict, but the same conflict. And it just starts to kind of taint the relationship, right? Um, here's, here's the other reason why I think conflict's important to talk about. Unresolved conflict. Is, it, 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 conflict is dangerous, but unresolved conflict downright kills. Unresolved conflict is the, the reason for the death of, of so many relationships. Uh, you know what I mean by unresolved conflict? It's like something happens, but you just kind of gloss over it. You have a big fight, and, and you go to bed mad, and then the next day you don't talk about it. Or you're at work, and there's, the, you know, like there's this really tense moment in the, bo- in, the, in, the, in the room, and you're like, geez, but then you just kind of pretend it didn't happen later that day or the next day, and you just keep going. That's unresolved conflict. And unresolved conflict has a way of creating layers over time, 
and it just over time, if you, even if you wanted to get to the bottom of it, what happens is, is you can't because there's so many layers and you can't even remember what was that fight about that we had three years ago. You know, or you don't even remember you had a fight three years ago. That it just kind of it's just kind of back in your subconscious. The un- unresolved conflict is extremely dangerous for relationships. It kills relationships, and that's kinda, uh, this is where I'm coming from when it comes to conflict. And the last thing I want to say about conflict, and then we'll dive in, is is this: conflict is inevitable. It's dangerous. Unresolved conflict it kills. It, but, but conflict itself is un- in, is un- inevitable. It really is, and I think, especially students, look at me. You need to know this. Like, there is no the, the, a, no marriage that doesn't have conflict. There is no friendship that has doesn't have conflict. We have to. I do this thing um, on um, when I do weddings that I say fighters make the best lovers. The people who are willing, not not that they're constantly fighting. That would, that probably wouldn't work out. But but like the ones that are willing to push through a fight to get back on common ground. Those people like that make. The best lovers, like like the relationships that you want to have in life, but even a good friendship, is you have to fight for it. Um, conflict is inevitable because we're fallen, we're we're, we're broken people. There's, it's just a matter of time before there's a misunderstanding, before we let each other down, where we unintentionally do something or intentionally do something to hurt the other person. And we got to come to grips with that. We want the relationship to continue. It's inevitable. So conflict is important, and that's why I want to talk about it today. Because I think handling conflict needs to be one of those life skills that all of us is good at, all of us strive for. So here's the big idea. This is where we're we're going today. The big idea is this. Conflict is like pie. It disappears when everybody eats their piece. That's right. Today's big idea is brought to you by Thanksgiving. <laughs> if, there's one, if there's one holiday that I will allow to endorse a sermon, it might be Thanksgiving. I, anybody, any other Thanksgiving fans up here? That, yeah, honestly, it's the best because it's like Christmas but without all the hustle and bustle. You know, you don't have to worry about gifts. You're just with people. I think it's like all of the good and true parts of Christmas are in, ho- in Halloween. Halloween, too. But Thanksgiving, th- I, I think, has a lot of the, you know, the family, the, the, the football, the food. Oh, the food. At ho- the Thanksgiving, it's, I'm like already getting ready for Thanksgiving. When is Thanksgiving? Is it next week? Dang, it's two weeks from now. No, is it next week? Two Thursdays from now. Oh, man, I got to wait. But like the food, like like, and it has a lot of great food. But it has my 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 favorite food group, which is baked goods. I love I love baked goods, like all of them, and and like 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 I made a list of things that I love right here. Hold on a second: pies, cakes, muffins, cinnamon rolls, cookies, donuts, Hostess cupcakes, anything Hostess makes, I'm all in for. And then the, you know what's cool is like you got the sweet side of baked goods, and then you got the savory which is like the bagels, the warm bread, the rolls, soft pretzels. Come on, they're so good. And you might say like in this day and age where like gluten is like the devil, you know, like where am I, you know, how do I come to this conclusion? You have to understand I'm on a very specific diet. It's called the gluten full diet. And it's, it's there for ethical reasons. It's because recently, it, with, with all of this stuff with gluten-free and, and, and how bad that is for you, all this gluten has been forsaken, and it's lonely. <laughs> and so I, this, this diet, this gluten-full diet I'm on is to go and comfort and find all of the orphaned gl- gluten in the world and make them feel valuable and wanted. That's my diet. 
what are we talking about? Um, yeah, so, so, um, so I want to, th- this is, this is a, a shout out. And, and some of you, if you've been at, at CLC for very long, you've maybe heard me talk about this. I can't stay away from this idea, like, because I think conflict is so important. It kills our relationships, and our relationships are so important to a happy life that I can't stay away. But you'll, you'll hear me talk about this every, every couple of years because it's so important. And in honor of Thanksgiving, I want us to think about it this way, that conflict is like pie. It disappears when everybody eats their piece. That conflict is like pie. It, it disappears when everybody comes to the table with their forks and hands, you know, the table of the argument, the table of the conflict, and said, you know what? You've done a lot of things, but this, they, they, they come with knives, and they cut their portion of the pie, and they eat it. They say they own what's their fault. They say uh, they own their actions. They fess up to the anger, to the pettiness, to the passive aggressiveness, to the mudslinging that we all do. That's when conflict just disappears, kind of like pie. Everybody gets a piece, and all of a sudden it's gone. That conflict is the same way. It can be the same way, but it requires each and every one of us with honesty and sincerity to come and say, you know what, this is my part. And when we do that, when I do that, and when you do that, all of a sudden, conflict disappears. Because in the, ma- in the end, no matter how it started or who started it, or as long as everybody involved can own their peace, it'll go away. But on the flip side, conflict remains when one or more of us is unwilling to eat the peace, right? Pie is still on the table if somebody won't eat their peace. And, and what I mean by that, it's like we look at them and say, I know, I know, no, there, I know there are things that I've done wrong, but I'm unwilling to look at those because I'm so fired up, I'm angry, I, I don't want, like, that's not safe, whatever the reason is, and we don't eat our piece of the pie, and then all of a sudden what remains is conflict. And then it becomes unresolved conflict. And it eats away at our relationship. Like I said, it creates layers. It creates this toxic culture. And it changes the forecast, doesn't it? Over time, you do that too much. All of a sudden, people who you like, it, it, it taints the relationship, doesn't it? You like, like tainted love. Once I ran to you, but now I run from you. That's what unresolved conflict does and we've all felt this at the grocery store when we saw that person would quick slip over to the other aisle we've all felt it um, after a fight with our spouse and, and the next day you got to be careful so careful and cautious with your words because you don't want to go back there a conflict at work where it's just like it's just easier not to bring it up put your head to the ground and work hard We've all felt that. And which, honestly, like, uh, we, we talk about this kind of stuff this time of year on, on purpose. Because this is the time of year where we're facing Thanksgiving and Christmas, which is, there's some great elements of it, but there's some not great elements of it with the family we need to be around or the family that we no longer can be around <laughs> or the family we want to avoid will sit on the other side of the table when we sit down because you don't want to be near her or him or whatever. So let's talk about it the perfect time of year to talk about it that conflict is like pie it disappears when everybody eats their piece so what do I want you to do this Thanksgiving what do I want you to do eat pie Josh's orders 
you're supposed to eat pie. And, and what I love about this is, like, you won't forget now. You'll be at Thanksgiving, though, like, all right, time, everybody come and eat the pie. And you're like, oh, and you just, you just picture me over by the sidebar eating every, I'll get a, a slice of everything. I'll just be like, hi, <laughs> just eating pie over here. It's a reminder for you to own your slice. This conflict's like pie. It disappears when everybody eats their piece. They take responsibility for their portion of the conflict. Now, today I want us to look at a passage that honestly, I've looked at it so many times that every time I come back to it, I think to myself, this is so brilliant. It was written in the New Testament by a man named James, who we talked about last week. James was the brother of Jesus. And what's incredible is this was like 2,000 years ago. And we're going to look at like three verses today, and we're really going to slow it down. I'm going to just kind of build, like we're going to read one line at a time, we're going to talk about it a little bit, and we'll just keep building on the idea. It's fascinating that 2,000 years ago, this is you know, before modern psychology, before Freud, before Erickson, before any of that, James, the brother of Jesus, writes in his letter about conflict, and not only does he talk about conflict, he he actually gives us insight today of where conflict comes from. Check this out. He starts, he starts by saying this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, I want, I want to pause here. Again. We're, we're going to do this one line by line. I, I want you to know something, that if you're interested in getting more out of the Bible, if you're interested in reading the Bible and Bible study, one of the things that I feel like people, where people miss when it comes to the Bible is you read too fast. I mean, when you read the newspaper, you read a, a magazine, it, the point is to get through the article, right? When you read the Bible, the point is not to get through anything. The point is to get something meaningful and apply it to your life. That's it. So if you read one verse, you sit down to read your Bible, and you, like, you read the first verse, and it's like, whoa. I need to think about that. And you read nothing else for the, 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 the day, guess what? You just won. That's, that's one of the things. And one of the reasons why we do this, and we make sure that there's always Bible in what we talk about in a sermon like this, is to help train you. Like, like my hope is that, that you have your Bibles here, or you're like, as you're watching it, I, I try, to, try to focus on one verse and not just hop around. Because now you know, today, later on today, you're like, what was Josh, you know, like, what, what did the Bible say about this? You know, you can go to James. And you can find it, and you can read it yourself. But a lot of times, you've got to take things slow. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take things slow. James says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He kind of opens with this, this question. This is in James 4. And I was thinking about actually having us turn to one another, like do a little time out, a little sharing time, like, you know, ask that question to each other. What causes fights and quarrels? And then I immediately realized that would be a very bad idea. Because that will cause fights and quarrels among you, as you probably say, you know what causes fights and quarrels? I'm so glad you asked. You cause fights and quarrels among us. You know, you don't ever hang up your towel, your clothes are everywhere, and you spend all the money. Anything else? Any other questions? You know, like it just would be a good idea. Um, he says, you know, like in other words, when, if, if we were to entertain that question, like, hey, what causes fights and quarrels with your boss? What causes fights and quarrels with your kids? We would, uh, we would be tempted to say, they do, right? In other words, some, some force outside of us is what causes fights and quarrels among us. The fact that he's always late. 
the fact that she just can't get these things done, the fact that whatever, we'd be tempted to say that the reason there's conflict among us is something that's out there. Watch this. James disagrees. He says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And he asks, asks another question, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? To we say, no, 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 James, I just told you, I just told you all the things he does. I just told you all the things she does, that all those things out there. And James is like, I know, I know you look at it that way, but I disagree. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? And then he says this, you desire, but you don't have. And this is a really good point. This is a really good point that every time that there's a conflict in the relationship, there's something that you want that you're not getting. There's something that you desire that you don't have. In James's world, a conflict happens when a desire within you spills over to the people around you. That's when conflict happens, right? It's pretty simple. That, like, I'm mad because you told me, or I was expecting, or I was hoping that you would do this, and you didn't. And so now there's a conflict within us. And I get here, this is, so, this is such sticky stuff to talk about. I've got to take a time out for a second, because some of you might be saying, yes, you're exactly right. I, he promised, and, and he never delivered. She said she would, and then she didn't. She let me down, and, and all of that's true. My, like, 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 aren't, like, we could say, time out, like, aren't my desires worth something or worth having? Is, is it too much to ask? And the answer is no. That's not the point. James is not saying that the, the conflict, is, it's not necessarily good or bad, warranted or unwarranted. And, he's, and here's the other thing that James is not saying. He's not saying it's all your fault by saying this, that it starts with, in you. All he's saying is that anytime there's conflict with somebody in your family, at work, there's something that somebody's not getting that they want. That's all he's saying. Because if you didn't desire it, if we didn't desire it, there wouldn't be conflict. And then he says this. He says, you know, what causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. And here he's using hyperbole. He's, he's exaggerating. He's overstating something because he's not, <laughs> James is not writing to people on death row. These aren't prison inmates that he's writing to. He's writing to his friends that are probably a lot more like you or me than, than we would realize. He, he's saying, you know, we, we don't get what we want, so you kill. And what James is saying by this and is so important is sometimes there are things that I want so badly that I'm willing to hurt the people that I care about most in order to get what I want. And that's just hard to say. I literally wrote this this week that I wrote, I had it written down that some, sometimes there are things that you want, that you are able to do. I'm like, no, I'm going to turn that on myself as I preach. There are sometimes there's things that I want so badly that I am willing to hurt the people I love the most around me in order to get them, get what I want. We're willing to push buttons, cross lines, power up, and then cut them down. And when you and I want something bad enough from somebody, we have to reconcile the fact that we have the ability to destroy them or to destroy portions of the relationship or to destroy 
trust, so we kill. It's possible. We all know it to be true. No one's going like, that's not true right now. No, we're all thinking about that because it's true. You desire so you don't, ha- uh, but you don't have, so you kill. And then he goes on to say this. He says, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight, and then all of a sudden we're right back where we started, right? This vicious cycle that we all know, that we've all seen, that we've all lived. We've all participated in it. And the whole time, like, like the, the conflict comes up again, it's their fault, and it's their fault, and it's their fault. And James would say, no, it's not them. It's not them. It's not only them. It's you. It's you. It's you. Isn't that challenging? And maybe, maybe you don't necessarily agree with it, but isn't it challenging to think about? And yeah, I think it's so important Because here's the deal, as long as it's always their fault and the focus is on them and what they did, conflict will never go away, right? Because conflict is like pie. It disappears when, what, what, when what? When everybody eats their piece. And, and who knows, maybe your piece is this little tiny piece, and there's this huge, it's basically a pie, okay? But like, and, 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 and they, you know, like they, they need to eat their pie, but you, and you're just so focused on what they did, and you're not willing to eat yours. Guess what? Conflict still remains. And again, the pushback is, okay, so you're saying it's all my fault? No, 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 not at all. All I'm trying to say, and I think all that James is trying to say is, is it's hard for conflict to go, go away when we're not willing to own what we've done ourselves. So I'd like us to pause here and practice something. Um, I, want to, I want us to practice something that we can do in the middle of conflict. Honestly, I, I want you to try this. The next time you're, you're, you're having a tense conversation at work, or a fight at home, or you're just like, you can't get on the same page with your kids, or whatever, wherever it is, and things are not going well, I just want you to be like, hold on, pause, 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 pause. And I want you to point at the person and say, you know what part of the problem is. And I want you to point. This is, this is important, because you're going to take that pointer, and you're going to put it right back at you and say, I'm not getting what I want. You know what part of the problem is. In fact, let's just put that on the pointer. You know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting something that I want. Like, let's just try that. I think this is good. We'll, we'll talk in church today. Ready? Like, you know what part of the problem is? I'm not getting what I want. That was good. You can do better. Let's try it again. You know what part of the problem is? I'm not getting what I want. Thank you. That was very emphatic over here on the right. Um, what this does it was when tensions are getting high and you're slinging mud and you're like this and like that and oh, he never and she always and blah, 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 whatever that is. Right in the middle, you're like, you know what the problem is? You start to recognize that there's some, the conflict that is actually starting within you with something that you desire. You might be right in desiring it. It might be something good. It might be something that, that, that you need to lead the relationship towards. But you recognize in the midst of it that part of the conflict is coming from within 
you. And it does several things. When you do something like this in a fight, it has a way of bringing the temperature down. Instead of escalating up, it's like, well, hold on, hold on. You know what part of the problem is? I'm not getting something that I want, something that I desire. And it's the, honestly, I think a phrase like this, a question like this at a key time is, is the first step towards eating our piece of the pie because we say, you know what, you know what's the part, of, it might look like this, you know what part of the problem is? I'm not getting something that I want. And you know what? I'm not wrong in wanting that, but I am wrong in the way that I'm trying to get it. And for that, I'm sorry. Try that sometime. Try that. They, they might be 90% wrong, but own your 10% and just see how, how the conversation shifts, how it changes, and how it might move towards resolution. You know what part of the problem is? I'm not getting something that I want. I'm holding it against you. Or I've been kind of cold lately. I know I've been distant, and I'm sorry for that. Watch the conversation change. Now, let me tell you why you won't do this. Let me tell you why I will resist doing this the next time I need to. There's a couple reasons. First is during an argument, I don't want to be nice. But like, like, I'm too mad to be nice. I don't want to own my slice. And, and, and I would rather focus on the other person's pie than my own. And, and see, the problem is, is when you say something like this, and, and, and I know, I know some of you are thinking of it like, if I do that in a fight, I will get ripped to shreds. It, it feels like you will lose, you know, like when you say something like that, when you start to, to own your slice, <laughs> the problem with owning your slice is then you have to be nice. You don't want to be nice. I don't want to be nice in the middle of a fight. Uh, it, see, you, you, when you do, it feels like when you start to be nice, nice doesn't win fights, does it? Uh, you start to lose your ar the, the, lever lev uh, the leverage of your argument, the power, the ammo, and, and then all these things that you feel like at that time you're like hoarding because it's like that's what I need to win the argument. Listen, listen, listen. This is, so <laughs> this is so important. When you win an argument, especially at home, you don't win anything. Can, can we all agree to that? Winning an argument at home doesn't win us anything. In a courtroom, absolutely. In a debate room, they'll give you know, like in a de debate, they'll give you awards for it. But at home, no one's going to give you an award if you just shut them down and win the argument with ammo and leverage and this and that. Nobody in your family is going to hand you a trophy and say, "Good job," right? Because you won the argument, but the conflict still remains. You didn't eat your piece of the pie. You just won your argument, and maybe you'll be able to verbally wear them down and convince them to eat their part, piece of part, and you were so right, but you never picked up a, a fork yourself to eat your piece of the pie. See, eating pie, it, require, it requires us, what, why we resist, why we won't do this is we don't want to be nice. It requires us to power down when everything is screaming in us, power up. 
And that's why this is so difficult. I once heard it said that the best defense in family is no defense. When it, when it comes to family, the best defense is to have no defense. When everybody in the family is willing to put down their guns and their grenades and their mud and pick up forks, that's when good things happen. Here's another reason why um, you won't say this or well, will be difficult to say this is what if they don't respond in kind, right? What if you say, you know what? Part of the problem is here, I, I'm not getting what I want and I've treated you poorly. And they say, yeah, you have treated me poorly. And they're like, boom, mic drop. They win the, and then they win the argument. What if they do it? It's possible that they might. But, but can I just say this? Like, like seriously, like I know there's some relationships that are so tense out there that you're literally, it feels like you're going to be handing them the win, just giving them the W. And you're like, I don't know if I can do that, but can I just tell you something? The next best thing to a restored relationship is internal peace. The next best thing to, to both people eating their piece of the pie is to be able to, to come to a pie and say, you know what? There's pie left on the plate, but none of it's mine. And that's hard, and you got to bite your tongue, and you got to just kind of sometimes walk away because that's the truth of the matter. We, we have a relationship in our, in our family that's just been, it's years. And we've eaten pie, and they have not. And it hurts. But the next best thing to restore relationship is internal peace. Is the, 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 the openness and vulnerability between you and the Father of like, Lord, I've done everything that I can in my power. There's something to be said for that. It's worth having even if they don't respond in kind. And here's, here's, here's the last reason why some of us will resist doing this this morning, later in the week, whenever. And this is the person that I've, I've been thinking about a lot, and it, my heart just hurts for, is, is the person that there's just so much pride. There's just so many years of unresolved conflict. There's all of those layers, and you, you want to grab a fork, but where do you even start there's years of pie rotten pie hurtful pie um, can I just say if you're a Christian <laughs> honestly what you do there is you pray you pray you pray for the Lord to, to change their heart you pray for the Lord to change your heart you pray for the Lord for wisdom as to where to start if you're not a Christian, I'd say pray. <laughs> honestly, like, like honestly, like my, my, my advice would be the same is, is, is to pray, like, like bring this before the Lord and, and, and just honestly, when you're when you just don't know what to do, prayer is one of the best things that you can do. It's one of the best ways to, to just to just bring things before God and, and lay them before him. In fact, check this out. Like you, you, you might not know what might happen as a result of prayer. Look at, let's go back to James. He says all this. He says, you know, you, you don't have, so you kill. And, and then he says, and you quarrel and you fight. You're right back in the start of this. And then he says this. You do not have because you do not ask God. 
and then, you know, like, you don't have the reason. It, again, he's still talking about relationships here, okay? He's not changing the subject to talk about prayer. He's talking about, he's, you know, what causes forts, fights and quarrels among you. It's, it's this desire within that spills out into somebody else. And all of a sudden, there's conflict. And then and you, the reason that it remains is you don't have because you don't ask God. And, and here's the thing. Some of you, some of you might say, that's BS. I so have asked God. I've prayed about this relationship with my, my adult kid for forever, and it's just, I can't, I, I've prayed about it, and, and, and James, James might hit you, head you off at the past and say, you do not have because you do not, you did not ask God, and when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, and honestly, this might seem a little bit like meddling as I bring it up this morning, but, but here's the deal. There's two different kinds of prayers, aren't there? There's prayers for people, and then there's prayers at people, right? I think what James is alluding to here is like, there's, yeah, you ha you've asked, you've prayed, but you, in, you, instead of praying for them, you prayed at them, Lord, change them, Lord, convict them, Lord, help them to see everything wrong that they've done, Lord, help them to see how much they've hurt me, Lord, help them to eat their piece of the pie. In other words, when it comes to conflict, I tend to pray like I argue, <laughs> instead of turning it back towards me and asking the Lord, Lord, there's conflict between us. Would you reveal to me in what's wrong in my heart so that I can eat my piece of the pie? We're quick to recognize their piece of the pie and bring, and we should. And listen, here's the deal. It's not one or the other. You can do both. You can bring your hurt before the Lord. And oh gosh, some of this hurts. And you say, they've hurt me, Lord. Would you convict them? Would you, would you allow them to see what they're doing to me? You can pray that prayer, but make sure in the next breath you're praying the prayer, and Lord, help me to see what I might be doing to them. That's prayer. That's bringing it before the Lord. You don't have because you haven't asked, you haven't brought, you have, maybe you don't have today because you haven't prayed that way. You haven't prayed in such a way that the Lord would answer your prayer. But he says more though. He says, when you don't have, when you, um, you don't have because you don't ask, and when you ask, you, you ask with the wrong moments that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Again, he's not talking about money. He's talking about conflict. You're, 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 you're asking for, for ammunition for, against them, for your cause against them. And see, whatever is gained through prayer is used to build your case instead of moving you closer to eating pie. But what if you and I approach conflict differently? What if, what if, what if, what if relationship that you see a dominant mood heading the wrong direction, or maybe the climate is just cold, what if there's something you can do about that to change the forecast? What if you were able to, to, uh, honestly, like, honestly, maybe there's a, a relationship that's so bad that, like, you don't dare ask the question, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe you can't start there. You can start 
here. You can reflect on your own and say, you know, part of the problem is, is I'm not getting what I want. And think about those things. Lay them out before the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, help me to not hurt this person in trying to get what I desire. And see what the Lord does. See if he answers that prayer. My thought is he loves to answer prayers. Anytime we come, listen, everybody look at me. Anytime you come before the Lord humbly, he's like, oh, oh, here we go. That's, that's a prayer that maybe he's been waiting for you to pray. And those are the prayers he loves to answer. Because here's the deal. You can't change them. And yes, we can pray and ask God to change them. But unless they're willing to change, nothing might, might not happen. But you can change you. And that's why God's like, when we come to him humbly and say, Lord, I'm hurt. They've hurt me. I, I pray that they would see that they've hurt me. But in the meanwhile, where's my part? That's a prayer God will answer. And it will bring one step closer. Lord, these are my desires. Would you examine my heart and make sure that I don't hurt the people that I love the most in an attempt to get what I want? I believe God will answer that prayer. So, you know what part of the problem is? I'm not getting what I want. You know what part of the problem is? I'm not getting what I want. Okay, 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 time out, time out, time out. Okay, you know what part of the problem is here? You can even say it that way. You can get all fired up and then, like, bring it down. Just watch conflict. Subside. Watch storms end as the climate changes. What might that change in the forecast of your relationships and mine? Let's pray.